I'm going to do a teaching uh, from the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, uh, Has anyone seen the bottle cap challenge? So a long time ago, someone did this. Oh, that's the first time that has ever happened. (laughs) The, The Lord is good. And it started off a whole range of people having a go, saying, that's easy. I'm going to have a go. The bottle cap challenge, I'm going to finish this before anyone else tries it. God bless a non-Christian past. Uh, uh, The bottle cap challenge is where there's a bottle. And if you're some kind of ninja or karate expert, what they do is a roundhouse kick. I am not going to demonstrate that. But they will have their back to the bottle, do a roundhouse kick. <laughs> that, that was it. Uh, in such a way that it clips the bottle top, the cap, and the cap spins and pops off. And then they kind of just do a bow. And it's starting a whole viral range of people having a go on YouTube. Now, it looks easy. Lots of things look easy, but when you do them, it's really, really difficult. I don't know if you've ever watched your dad. If you have a dad and he likes watching sports... You might hear your dad say something like, just pass the ball, put it there, do this, it's easy, come on. But the reality is, it takes longer for your daddy to walk to the fridge and get a snack than it does for the person he was shouting at to run 100 yards. Things look really easy, and we like to talk a lot about it, but actually doing it is super, super difficult. I, for example, may say, oh, I can run a marathon. That's easy, I can run a marathon. Someone could say to me, anyone can say, I can run a marathon. And I'm not saying I can, because I know I can't. Uh, Anyone can say I can run a marathon, but really doing it, that's something completely different. We look at something today that Jesus did. He forgave sins. And people that saw him do that, they said, that's anyone can say that. Like, you can't really do it. And he showed them that he could. So this is a story. I'm going to ask Jamie to come up for a moment. Here's my son, Jamie. Uh, I love to introduce people to my son, James. If you know Jamie, you know a little bit about me. Jesus loves to introduce... uh, Sorry, God the Father loves to introduce people to his son, Jesus. And in the Gospels, when Jesus was on earth, he was revealing Jesus to people. He was introducing his son to people. Little celebration we're going to have for James next Sunday at 3. Jamie is going to be baptized at my friend Dan's house. We would love you to come along. It's just by where we are. There's a swimming pool. Is that in contrast with your gathering? No? Great. So I won't change the baptism. Uh, At 3, at my friend Dan's house. And Jamie is able to articulate what baptism is. So it's one thing growing up in a Christian family. It's something else being able to say what's happened on the inside and how you represent that on the outside. Thank you for your trash, Jamie. Uh, So please come along. Next Sunday, we'll give some more details. But just as I love to introduce people to James, God the Father loves to introduce people to Jesus. You can take a little seat there, buddy. We're going to pick up the text in the book of Mark. So Jesus has uh, been baptized, and God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus then is tempted for 40 days, did much better than the Israelites did for 40 years. 
Jesus obeys, sticks to the word of God, and he comes through that temptation. God the Father then starts revealing who Jesus really is. You'll see progressive miracles recorded in the Gospel of Mark showing who he is. One of the first things he does, he's a teacher, so he calls his disciples, he casts out evil spirits. One of the first things he does, so he has power over the spiritual realm. He then starts healing many, many people. Lots of people come to him, and he shows he has power over the physical realm by healing as well. He then goes around Galilee. He starts teaching, and people are, this teaching is extremely authoritative. Like, what kind of law is this? What is it that he knows? And then a man with leprosy comes up to him. Now, if you've ever had uh, the flu or the measles, or chickenpox, if you grew up in a European backwards country like England, uh, they try and keep you away from everyone. It's like, you've got an infectious disease, don't go around spreading it. Leprosy was an infectious disease in Jesus' time. And so they tried to keep people with leprosy away. In fact, they said they were unclean. Now, they were regular people like you or me. They couldn't help having leprosy. But when Jesus heals the man with leprosy, what he's basically saying is, you can now come back into the people of God. So we see by the gospel account here that Jesus has the power to clean. He has the power to restore people. We're now going to pick up where Jesus heals a paralytic man. And there's three key lessons from this. I read the text, I'm going to explain the story. Lots of people were gathering around a house where Jesus was staying in. People had heard far and wide about his teaching, about his healing, and there's so many people in the house, outside the house, you cannot see him. Imagine, if you will, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry were to come to Wheaton. A lot of people would be gathering to see these really, really important people. But when someone super important you might not think it appropriate to kind of smash through the roof, tear the roof apart the house they're staying in and have a good old look at them. But this is what the friends of a man did for Jesus. So we're going to hear the story that uh, a man was paralyzed and his friends desperately wanted him healed. Imagine not being able to move at all. It's horrible totally dependent on everyone. And then they lower him down to Jesus. And we hear the story where Jesus forgives him and he heals him. I'm going to read the text now. It's Mark 2 and it's verses 1 through to 12. And after I've read the text, I'll then teach on it for a moment. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. 
But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. Something that happens here that isn't often picked up on uh, in Bible commentaries. As the man is being lowered through the roof, the first two words that Jesus says to him are incredibly important. He says, my, and he says, son. That is the only time in all of the gospel accounts that Jesus says, my son, to someone. Let me explain to you why that's significant. When you were paralyzed or infirm or totally dependent on other people, it was the family's responsibility to look after you. The family should have been the people lowering him down through the roof. Uh, I will give a brief explanation of why he may be paralyzed. I'll give the adult version. Uh, If you are not living according to God's ways and you are a young teenager, an older teenager, in your 20s, you can pick up diseases. By living a certain way that without penicillin caused paralysis. It's very likely that because of his wayward life cycle, this person had picked up an illness that wasn't treated with penicillin and it went to its full course and caused paralysis. He would have likely really dishonored his family by doing that. Does that make sense? So his family are not there to look after him anymore. Kind of like the leper that Jesus heals before. He's kind of being cast out. So his friends are lowering him. And Jesus notices this. See, Jesus doesn't go, what are you doing? This isn't even my house. No, he sees people desperately bringing uh, people in need towards him. He doesn't care what it looks like to other people. The biggest thing is that person needs Jesus. And Jesus knows he needs his forgiveness. Uh, Sin's forgiven. He knows he needs his paralysis healed. Can you imagine those two words to that paralyzed man as he's being lowered down? He doesn't know he's going to be healed. He doesn't know his sins are going to be forgiven. But Jesus says to him, my son. That moment, he's been welcomed into a family. He's paralyzed. He's just hoping against hope that maybe he can get some kind of healing, and there's crowds there. It doesn't look like it's going to work, but the greatest need he had is to be part of a family. So Jesus says, my son. He continues. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, rightly, the only person that can forgive sins is God. Imagine if someone does something terrible, 
So imagine Saddam Hussein in Iraq. He gassed Kurds uh, many, many years ago. Is it okay for me to say, Saddam, I forgive you? It's kind of totally irrelevant. People knew this. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he was saying, I am God. So I am God. He's saying, my son, I am God. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knows what's going on in each one of our hearts. The religious leaders weren't saying, this is a disgrace. This is terrible. No, they were kind of watching at the side. And he knew what was happening in the hearts. He says, why, why do you think this is blasphemy? That I am the son of man. He was revealing himself to them. And he says, so you know that I can forgive th- sins. I'm going to do something that you think is impossible. Here is a paralyzed man, and I'm going to heal him so that you know I have power. I have power, and he heals him. But what the biggest demonstration was, it proved that he was who he says he was. So the son of man and his ability to forgive sins. I don't know what it is that you have done in the past that you don't want anyone to know about. I don't know what it is in your heart that's just there and it won't go away. And it feels dark and it feels black. Can you imagine what these people were thinking? There were so many rituals, so many religious laws. There was all of the commandments in the Old Testament. There were 614 extra oral commandments that the Pharisees had done. And Jesus right there and then says, your sins are forgiven. I say to you now, whatever it is that you are deeply ashamed of, whatever it is you're afraid of doing in the future, Jesus can say this to you now. My son, your sins are forgiven. Hey, champ, he can stay there. Um, He says, your sins are forgiven. Just think what that actually means for a moment. God who knows everything in each one of our hearts, says to you, my child, your sins are forgiven. I don't know what it is that you're afraid of. God does not hold a grudge about that to you. I don't know what it is that you are done, have done. God would say to you, is that all you've got? And it's not that sin is not terrible, but compared to the ocean of forgiveness and God's love, it's so easy for him to forgive those sins. It's like a child having a crayon, and they have a broken crayon, and they kind of feel really bad, and they hand you the broken crayon, and, Daddy, I'm so sorry, I've broken the blue crayon. And yet you own Crayola. You're like, well, this, okay, I, 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 I know you're upset, you have no idea what I, what I have for you. And God is the same with his forgiveness. God is the same with his physical healing. He knows in our hearts of hearts what we really need. And will we share that with him? Will we share with him? Will we dare share with him what it is in our hearts? One of the best ways to remember who Jesus is is to celebrate communion. 
We celebrate communion the first Sunday of every month. Communion is a way of saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the full penalty that my sins deserved. And it's a way of remembering what he said to his disciples as he broke bread at the Last Supper. He said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, take, drink, this is the new covenant poured out for many. Kids, one of the most, hey, let's have your attention here. What's look, look, oh, ah, oh, oh, there we go. One of the most important things you will ever have in life <laughs> is, uh, one of the most important things you'll ever have in life is being united to Christ, like in a really close relationship with him. Have you ever seen a scary film? Do not share what title it was. Uh, if you've seen, let's say, for example, a Disney film or The Little Mermaid, there's this horrible character called Ursula. When I was a kid, the worst thing that I was scared of was Doctor Who. When I look back, this was grown men wearing egg boxes that had been sprayed silver. But I loved to have my mum put her arm around me and hold me close. No matter what I felt, that closeness to her made everything okay. A relationship with Jesus is like being brought close by God. Saying, you are king of kings and you love me and I can't make you love me any more and I can't make you love me any less. Whatever I've done, you've forgiven. Whatever I'm going to do, you can easily forgive. I've broken a blue crayon, but you own Crayola. And so when we take communion, we're reminding of ourselves of that union with God. Now, kids, listen up. Would you like to take communion today? Here's the deal. It's a pretty serious thing, legitimately. What you're saying when you take communion is Jesus died for me. Now, if you don't think Jesus died for you, if it's not your intention to be baptized, please don't take it. So the Bible says when you have a, a covenant, it says, hey, if you don't take this seriously, this will happen to you. We would love for you as part of God's family to take communion with us today. But if you're thinking, nah, please don't. Now, there's two things I want all of us to do before taking communion today. First one is confess. Confess is where we look at ourselves like God does and we agree with him. Where have we fallen short? Now, I know in my house, some angry things have been said this week. So we are going to confess that children. <laughs> Same with adults. The second thing after we've confessed is we're going to give Jesus a hurt. I don't know what hurt it is you're carrying. I don't know what grief it is you're carrying. But just as Jesus can forgive our sins, he can heal our deepest needs. That man, he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Whatever it is that's there, that anxiety, that fear, that hurt, that longing that has never been met, say, Jesus, I give this to you. So what we're going to do now, we're going to be quiet as adults. The kids are going to be kids. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, a prayer of confession. I'm going to pray out loud, and then a prayer of kind of trusting Jesus with our needs. 
I am then going to ask uh, two pairs of adults to have, give out communion. One group will carry the communion over this side. Parents, if your kid goes up, can you go with them? If your kid takes more than two pieces of bread, God bless them for their spirituality, but leave it at two. Let's pray. We bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you are the Son of God. Not only did you heal a leper, making him clean and able to come back into society, you invited that paralyzed man into your family. You said, get up and walk, and he walked, and you said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, you call us into your family. Through your death on the cross and through us putting our faith and trust in you, we can be in your family. Lord, we feel broken, but you broke your body for us. Whatever we have said or thought or done this week that was not pleasing to you, that did not help us become more like you, forgive us that. You've given us a new heart. May that continue to transform us. And Father God, we live in a fallen world with confusion and pain and fear and despair. Jesus, you wept even though you're going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, help us to give our hurts to you, our hopes to you, our longings to you that we wonder, are they ever going to be met? And we do this in your namesake. Amen.